You're listening to Experience This, a show about the emerging experience economy with your host, Tom Young. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Tom Young. I'm sitting here in the studio with uh, Karen Bajwa and Sean Uman. Hey, guys. And uh, hi, how you doing? Hey. Hey, so today we're going to talk about, you know, in our continuing conversation around the experience economy and focusing on our time and how we spend our time on the concept of minimalism and having less stuff and more time. And we use the term, uh, I have a lot of possessions, but if you flip that word around, you have to ask yourself, who possesses who? Because people who have a lot of stuff are worried about their stuff. Where's my stuff? My stuff has to be safe. I have to lock the stuff up. I have to store the stuff. I have to bring the stuff. I have to pack the stuff. To take care of the stuff. To take care of the stuff. I paid a lot of money for this stuff. Right? But people don't focus the same amount of time and energy on their time as they do on their stuff. So, interesting. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of cool stuff happening that's talking about this exact topic. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys, two friends got together and put out a, a documentary. I think it was a, a last year or the year before um, around this topic. It was a documentary about the important things. And guys like Sam Harris were in, in the doc. And one of the things that is quite clear is the fact that this accumulation about stuff, it's almost... And it'd be interesting to hear what you guys think. It's almost not even about the stuff. It's almost people are accumulating things as a way to replace an attachment to uh, maybe fill a deeper void, attachment to relationships. It, like they're they're the stuff is almost just. I don't even know what the word is I'm looking for, but it's it's kind of a placeholder for a deeper void that people are trying to trying to fill. Am I, am I getting to? No, I get uh, what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's the issue. Can I buy a thing that replaces a void that is not, that is not tangible? Meaning if I have a void of a lost relationship or loneliness or a feeling of, um, uh, lack of self-worth in a certain area or something along those lines, one of the areas that, that would create that void is the act of buying something. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what happens is people, um, and, and, and retailers have this nailed, advertisers have this nailed. Oh. <laughs> they sell you a vision of you using this product you buy the you want the vision and so you buy the product but when the reality hits the the product is not that vision i see this a lot like if if you ever think of when you were a kid right and you always you know you see another kid or the new toy or you see it on the tv and how badly you wanted that toy but and and you could beg you know i used to beg my mom for like all sorts of stuff and i would get it and I would be over it within like sometimes hours. And you would think like this happened repetitively. There, 
you know, it come to a point where we're, where we start to realize what is the actual, you know, the benefit of this, uh, of, or what is the value that this is giving me? But I still fall into that trap over and over again. So many people still fall into that trap. We're not learning from that mistake here where, where we realize like there are well, certain things that money is going much further for than, than just material things, you know? And I think a lot, a lot, there's a lot of reasons. There's social reasons of like social pressure of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Then there's just, I have a lot of money. I don't know what else to do with it. Yeah. You know, like they're not used to experiences or spending on that. So they're just like, I want a new car and I want a new TV and I want a new this and that. I guess people also have a lot of space to put it in. <laughs> yeah. Bigger house. You just upgrade that. Yeah. yeah. Just so, to fit more stuff in, right? Yeah. I mean, there's space for right, it. Right, Tom? <laughs> yeah. I, I, if you have a big, if you have, if you have a big closet, it yeah. gets filled. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you have a bigger closet, it still gets filled. Yeah. So I think, and then that has a carrying cost to it. Yeah. Right. And if you want to experience certain things, and we talked Karen about like you live in the Hudson Yards area in New York. You compared to the place that I'm living in here, you know, there's like five, six thousand square foot house. You you don't have that kind of you don't have near the kind of space. No, I think I'm probably under a thousand square feet total. Yeah. So uh, and you're living with four people. Yeah. So it's it's you have to think about your your space actually forces you to make some of these decisions and confront the aspect of materialism versus minimalism. And th that forced confrontation exposes you to the lie that materialism will bring you any more happiness than minimalism will if you just appreciate what you have. It could go even more, it could go the other way too. It could make you even more unhappy. Because you don't, because you buy all this stuff and you're expecting. Yeah. It's the same thing we talked about in the other podcast. It sets expectations. Oh, I have this. I have this. I have this. I should be happy. Why am I not happy now? Well, you probably see it a lot in um, beauty and clothing, right? So beauty is all set up to um, sell you a dream, which uh, if you look at all the lotions and et cetera that come out, none of them are magic creams that they say that they're going to be, but it's a great, great marketing schema. And I think a lot of people do get disappointed. And so you're right, no one learns from it. It's just, oh, well, maybe that product is going to be the one that does it for me. I think actually the worst thing that happens when people engage in this and start really start buying a lot of things is that they set a precedent, right? So now once you buy this new car, or you buy this new TV, now you have to maintain this. Yeah. It, it looks so much worse to go start downgrading. You know, so it, you, you bought a 70-inch TV, the next TV can't be a 60-inch, right? It's, it's got to be the same or bigger. The next house has to be bigger. The next car has to be nicer. Yeah. So it, it's it's setting you in this perpetual downward, and this, this isn't even starting to talk about all the, the financial ramifications and all of that with materialism, which is a whole nother topic, but. It's, it's shackles. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so most people in our culture today are ensconced in some form of materialism. Our political and our social um, 
constructs sort of encourage and celebrate materialism. Yeah. At yeah. some level, right? Uh, even when the economy is at where people say, go out and buy stuff, just go buy stuff. Then we get the economy going as if somehow that's going to um, save us. And so minimalism, it's not surprising, doesn't have a lot of political support because there isn't a constituency for that. So yeah. uh, what are some of the things that people can do? Now, Sean, we talked before we, we got on the, the air here. You spent three and a half months living out of a backpack yep. in Europe. Yep. Tell us about that. Just a regular old uh, carry-on backpack that I could take on any airport. And it just had basically a bunch of clothes, a couple pairs of jeans, a couple pairs of shorts. Um, I didn't even have a jacket, but this was during the summer, so I didn't need one. Uh, a couple T-shirts, a couple uh, button-downs. Um, and then obviously, you know, boxers and socks. And there was a time where, you know, I would lose some things, but then I would just go buy some things at the local mall or wherever. But everyone around you was probably doing that. So it felt really comfortable. So that was another thing. Obviously, if I'm living out of, back, out of a backpack here, that would be <laughs> much weirder because people would see me wearing the same stuff over and over again. Right? And, and then there's a whole stigma around that wearing the same clothes over and over again and but there that was that didn't exist so it was so easy to do because everyone was doing that mm. no one came there with a suitcase full of stuff everyone had a backpack so <laughs> it, it almost normalized things so it was, there's a caricature of the husband and wife fighting on a uh, packing for a trip <laughs> and <laughs> the the woman's packing an entire suitcase filled with shoes <laughs> Right, you see, you get this right. Yeah. Now it's an it's an extreme example, but there are people, you know, you know, and men have similar pathologies. But this is a funny one for me: an entire suitcase for shoes. Yeah. And uh, you know, I can think of maybe three pair on vacation, but even that, you're like, eh, maybe two. Yeah, I had uh, two for three and a half months. Yeah. <laughs> and but but having. A whole suitcase? Yeah. And you got to carry that suitcase around everywhere you go. Right. And so I read this book many years ago by this guy named Tynan. Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure what his real name is or if that's his name. But he wrote a book called Life Nomadic. And he was a late teens guy. He had done some work, you know, out of college doing stuff. And then he kind of got fed up with it. And he kind of embraced minimalism, I would say, about 15 years ago and took it to an extreme. And the extreme was he literally sold everything he had except what he was wearing and what he could fit in a backpack. Hmm. All of his furniture, all of his stuff. You know, he packed a, and he talked about what went in the backpack. It was, he had to really think about it. It's prime real estate. Mm -hmm. And you have to carry it. So it's a literal backpack, not a metaphoric backpack. So how much it weighs matters. So it was like he picked the best laptop. He was one of the early guys that got solid state, you know, laptops back in the day. To make sure, you know, because weight mattered. Four ounces or six ounces mattered if you're carrying it all the time. So we talked about it. So, it, it, you know, it was interesting reading it because I don't think anyone would take it to that extreme except a very few people. But it was an interesting uh, read to understand your, your attachment to things and how it might be different if you try something another way. Right. And the to me, the best way to, to test this is to go on a short trip and pack light. 
Yeah. And yeah. one of the things he talks about is never pack just in case. Always pack for the perfect outcome and deal with the problems as they pop up because unless you're going to the moon where they don't have stores. Exactly. Except on the backside with the uh, aliens. But <laughs> uh, but if you're going somewhere where they don't have access to things, maybe you have to prepare for an emergency or something like that. For the most part, you know, the whole world has toothbrushes and toothpaste or exactly uh, a hat if you need a hat. Yeah. And you can go buy those things. And those, and those things, by the way, become fun. Yeah. You know, you you learn about um, different cultures and how they solve life's modern problems that you have. Plus, if you're doing that, then it's it's more likely that this is more of a need, that you actually need this thing. That's why you're going to go get it. Right, as opposed to want it as, and it's there. Uh, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I, I pack because I had the room and regretted it. Yeah. And I come home and I never touch that stuff. Yeah. And I just got up back from a trip. I went down to Florida and it, it, I, I, I only brought a, a carry-on I could have packed even lighter, but I, I, you know, I had to sit on the suitcase to close it, and I didn't even use half the stuff that was down there. It, when, it is and when, you go, and when you go somewhere, a lot of times you want to buy a, a souvenir shirt or something like that mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. So you should plan on that as opposed to pack for a four-day trip, pack for four days with two changes of clothes. It was like, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> It's yeah. also not easy lugging all that shit through the airport. Either. It's just like you so, said, I was, I was going through, I was walking like maybe 20, 30,000 steps a day. Yeah. So this backpack, every ounce in it, a hundred percent matters. Matters. Yeah. yeah. Of course I didn't have my backpack on the entire time I'm walking, but there was a lot of walking with the backpack. So and it mattered. So it definitely mattered. Yeah. I wasn't going to put anything in there that was not absolutely necessary. Did you carry gear with you? Like a laptop and stuff like that? I had a tablet. Yeah, my other good. some other trips, I brought my laptop for work and yeah. stuff. But uh, for this that ta um, trip, I just bought a, a tablet, which yeah. I actually ended up hardly using. So now, do you think? So we have about you know a dozen people on our team. Mm -hmm. If we said, "Hey, let's do a minimalist trip," yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, we're gonna go to somewhere. Dublin. <laughs> Dublin. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Dublin. But I'm just picking up just pick a place and yeah. the 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 rule of the trip is minimalist packing. And maybe maybe a, do it on a literal backpack. Carry on only. No, no, backpack. Just a backpack. That's it. <laughs> okay. It has else. to fit into under the no, seat and Ryanair. No, uh, under the seat and no Ryanair. Shoe suitcase, nothing like that. Yeah. Uh the only thing we would bring would be maybe some media equipment for other things that we might do, but do you think people would go for that? No. <laughs> so of the 12 people really? without naming names, <laughs> what percentage of our team do you think would do a minimalist three-day weekend? I think on our team, actually, I, I think we can get everybody. everyone to yeah, do it. Yeah, I think everyone yeah. could do it. Yeah. Even the old-timers? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might take a little bit of cajoling. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's 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 staying in the hostel. That would probably be the, the <laughs> tough <one>. part. <laughs> I looked at John Gogarty's, which is in Dublin and Temple Bar. I think the beds are like seven or eight euros for it. Yeah, and, they're very uh, cheap. It's almost like sleeping in the bus station. It like. <laughs> it's really not that bad. Well, I'm just thinking there's you know people drunk and vomiting everywhere and. Yeah, there's plenty of that. Yeah, it's I Ireland. Don't, I don't need that. <laughs> there's there's need, that everywhere, though. I need none of that. I don't want any of that. <laughs> Sleep you know? while standing up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but it, 
you know, it's an interesting thought exercise to go through and, and question, does your stuff matter? And if you've ever moved and put your stuff into storage for a while, and it's, and a while could be a couple months because you could be in between houses, your whatever the issue is, you realize you've made it through the last few months without it. Do you need to ever unpack it? That room could disappear, and your life would not change at all. Yeah. The other thing is, every we talked about this on one of the earlier podcasts. Anytime people do spring cleaning they always have this feeling of accomplishment. Right. So if you're getting that feeling of accomplishment when you purge. Yeah, get rid of stuff, old stuff. There's obviously too much stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also interesting to see the psychology of different people in a spring cleaning exercise. There'll be some people who will say, get me a bigger dumpster. I'm throwing everything out. Yes. And other people are saying, oh, look what I found. Oh, I need to put this up on the shelf, or I need to pack this, or I need to use this yeah. next time. And they and they repack it. I mean, they re re embrace with the, the old and treasure. Often, yeah. Oftentimes, the pathology, and I, I, again, I'm probably, I fall into that category a lot too. The what they what's happening is they pick up something and they remember an event. Exactly. Yeah. And they're saying, I don't want to lose the memory, so I don't want to lose the thing. The associated with experiences. Yeah. yeah. And so 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 let's think let's think about that. If that's really the case, like the people who don't get rid of the stuff is because they associate a memory with the thing. How can we use technology to not just replace that but make that even better? So imagine I take a short video and a couple pictures of the thing with some narration. Yeah with proper meta stamps so I can recall it. And then the technology even prompts me and it says, I'm gonna show you a memory a day or some app or something like that. Mm -hmm. And now it's not something that sits on the shelf that I stumble onto every two or three years when I do spring cleaning. It's, it's, it's with me in a much more richer and engaging way and I don't have to be burdened by the stuff. I can let that, it remain digitally in my cloud somewhere and let the the technology manage its storage, location, and use. Yeah, I think it's to get people to, that's exactly it. If they can hold on to the memory right, and have that memory with them, then they can begin to detach from the thing. From the physical thing. From the yeah. physical thing, yeah. It, and there's something biologically about it because we've seen all these shows, um, Hoarders. The Hoarders. Yeah, so there, there is something innately, I think, within us that we have to fight that wants us to hold on to everything. And I could see it maybe, you know, evolutionarily, we're obviously looking for resources. And if we have resources, we don't want to just let it go, you know? So yeah, there, there is something that's, that makes it so tough for us to let go. But what you were saying about the technology, Snapchat has a feature that um, it, it goes back a, a year past or two years past this day. So I, I've taken snaps or whatever on my trip and, when I look back on the app or I open it up, I'll see what I was doing that day. And this is just like you were saying, it kind of gives you just a, a feel good memory of the experience mm -hmm. without I, any sort of physical, you know, attachment to anything, have, yeah, yeah, nothing to hold on to. I, I also think Apple Memories does it as well. I think everyone's doing that. Right? The Photos app does it, Google, Google Photos does the same thing. Yeah. So when we think about technology, I'm gonna throw up on the screen here. Uh, just a picture. This is a desk from 1981. 
I can't find the video, but there's a video that time lapses from 1981 to now where all of these things get virtualized. And so on here is a computer, an encyclopedia, the yellow pages, a phone, a Rolodex, a globe, a camera, a fax machine, a clock radio, a calendar, uh, pictures, a calculator, an appointment book. Alarm clock. Alarm, you know. All of this could be a laptop and a phone now. I think. No, at the end of this, yeah. let me see if I even have it in this picture, is this picture here. And, and this picture's evolved even. This is the 2012 version of it. Uh, in fact, I may, oh, here it is right here. This is the 2014 final picture. Laptop and phone. Sunglasses, laptop, and a phone. Mm-hmm. And, and it's converted into, and they show all the apps above it. Those are the digital versions of the things we used to have, whether it be Excel instead of a ledger, uh, it looks like PowerPoint, Amazon for your all your books in a Kindle format. Dictionary replaces the dictionary. Um, you can go right through those. All these different applications that have now digitized the experiences and allow us to convert our stuff into virtual stuff. And so it really then becomes an exercise when you look at all of the things you have what can be go through this kind of a filter? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- what, what do I really need at the end of the day? How much stuff do I have to have? It, I think it, it's, a, it's such a great exercise for people to go through that and really think to themselves, how much stuff do you actually need? You know, there's another thing, though. People will bring up the counterpoint of like, this is too much phone laptop. I want I want a, a good old fashioned book. You know, like the good old like I could hear that argument coming out where people just want a physical they want to get away from this, just digital stuff too. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but I I would say that I don't I, I don't think it's an either or. I just mm-hmm. think it's the way we approach the technology. And, it, and at some level, the earlier conversations that Kieran and I were having when we started doing this podcast were we were thinking about in a post-digital world, what's the analog revolt to the post where there's too much digital? And I think what you end up with is you have this view that technology has disrupted our world. And people are revolting against that disruption. But if you if you... If you pivot it and say, I'm going to use technology to enhance it. You go back to embracing the analog world, but using digital tools to help you with the embrace. Right. As opposed to uh, it being a distraction. And it's a, it's, a, it's a nuance for sure. And I think it's still richer experiences and memories, but still without the, all the stuff associated with it. Because I think the stuff is weighing people down. Yeah. Like the memories are liberating and and you can revolt from digital and you know go to Starbucks Reserve and Italy and Restoration Hardware and have great experiences. But you're not necessarily walking away with tons of stuff. Yeah, in fact, I, I what I would say is if you could go approach the experiences and go do things and have the digital technologies 
record how and who you spend your time with and the things that you do in a seamless way and then store it um, in a way where you're not, you do have to do a lot of management of files and pictures and things like that and then be able to recall it to enhance it in a, in a future experience or to sit back and re review some of your prior experiences. Then I think you see technology as a huge asset versus yep. a distraction. Yeah. So I think about our, when we left the NRF, and I think it was uh, you and Rohan, TJ and I and Wendy. And we went down, we just jumped in a Uber XL and went down to the Flatiron District and, and walked in there. And that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. We took a couple pictures and they're each sitting individually on our phone. Now we could have created a shared memory app and upload the pictures and then they'd be there. Maybe they're not there. I don't know. But it, is, it still requires a lot of distraction and tension for us to manage that whole thing. Yeah. Versus if it was seamless, catalog, meta tagged, and then when we talk about it some other time, the technology is listening to what we're doing, which you could say was an invasion of privacy, but now put it in, in your corner now instead of someone mm -hmm. else's. The technology is listening and throws up on the screen the pictures from Italy. Yeah. And, and then mashes it together with stock photos from Italy. So now when I go back and look at that, I can, I can say, hey, let's go to Italy. Look at what we did last time. And I can share that with somebody on any screen from my device. So there's still a lot of room for technology to improve our analog experiences. Uh, but I think it, part of this is this tension between analog and digital and what is the relationship? Well, yeah. I also think w with that, you're, you're in control. So you, you know, you've kind of taken the power back because you're the one that created the experience and now leveraging the technology, you get to share the experience. So it's not like the technology or stuff in that instance that's holding the shackles on you, you're, you are actually empowered again, which is fundamentally, I think, a big thing that needs to take place. So moving aside from even the experience, like what about just, let's say I have a bunch of clothes, no real experience attached to them, right? But I just find it hard to get, you know, like I'm, I never wear this, but I don't want to get rid of it. Why don't you want to get rid of it? I don't know. You're asking the wrong person because I have a lot, a lot, I, and I go through the same thing. I'm just asking you why, yeah. if you have an answer, because I don't have an answer. Well, but, but to me, it's more like, you know, I don't know. I think at some level, you, you should just try to maybe implement some kind of rule. If I haven't worn it in a year, yeah, it's got to go. It's got to go, and it has to go as a matter of policy. Yeah, because if I need more. Obviously, I've just demonstrated my whole life through the accumulation of all these clothes I don't need, mm -hmm. but I have no problem buying clothes. Yeah. So I go buy them. But it, I think it applies to life as well. We talked about not packing for just in case. Well, it's not, you know, not having stuff in your house just in case. Mm -hmm. It's going back down to uh, uh, a more minimalist view. I don't think you have to take it to the level of a backpack, but I think, you know, it's the key is all of life, just balance, right? Yeah. Just finding that balance. But I also think people hold on to clothes because they think they might wear them yes, at some point in the future. Yep. And I have all of my college textbooks still. This is an embarrassing Because you fact. think... <laughs> I have not sold one of them. I bought all of them at ridiculous college <laughs> <laughs> textbook prices. But I've always said, maybe I'll go back and look at them. Or maybe I'll need to reference it. 
people again it's when you're ping-ponging between the past and the future i have not opened one textbook since college why would you exactly yeah some yeah it's definitely i used to collect books i used to have a bunch of books and then Mm um when i I had a, a house from when i first got out of college and i bought a house in like 1990 and i just sold it last year And I had a bunch of crap in there from when I first moved in, all these things I collected in my youth. And it was in the cellar in one of the rooms that the tenants that were staying there didn't really use. So Wendy and I went over there and uh, we went through all the stuff. And I had obviously hadn't seen it in probably 10 or 15 years. And I saw, found some of the stuff and I I grabbed a few things that were interesting. I don't even know what I did with them, but. Um, I was grabbing them because I, I, oh, I remember that, and I grabbed it yeah. as if, as if that was my memory I was holding on to. Exactly. But I did see some college textbooks, like my old physics book. Right. And uh, I opened it up, and then I threw it away because it's like, what, what would you ever do with it anyway? Exactly. Yeah. But I think I felt better after I sold that house and got rid of all that stuff that was with that, and I think I'll probably. I'm, I'm, I suffer from the same pathology as mo- I'm not a, a pack rat by any means, but I, I definitely have too much stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just getting rid of it. And especially for clothes, if you haven't worn it, you know, like, do you really need those socks? Yeah. <laughs> those socks are never going to get worn. Yeah. You know, and just do a sock purge, you know. Maybe people feel bad because they feel like they spent money on it. Yeah, but it's sunk funds. Yeah, I know. Some cost, yeah. Yeah, some cost is gone. So we've strayed a little bit from this, but I really think we want to go back to this notion of minimalism mm-hmm. and talking about how our stuff is um, should be part of our algebra yeah. when we talk about experience. Because the, I would say more often than not, the way stuff and things show up in our world it sometimes can enhance the experience, but more often than not, detracts from the experience. That could be everything from a three-day trip somewhere where you pack too much stuff and you're checking and lugging stuff through customs and baggage claim and and not focusing on the trip or the journey because yeah. you have too much stuff to uh, just the expense of having all this all these things that you need a bigger house or a bigger place to get. To I was do just going to say, probably one of the biggest things is the opportunity cost, right? Financially and just time wise, where you buy a huge, massive TV or something, you almost feel obligated, like, well, I bought this. I should just you know, sit here and watch some movies or watch some TVs rather than doing something that actually is more fulfilling for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a, there's a cost, opportunity cost, and a time one involved with buying stuff. and. So we'll put this on our spring agenda. Uh, we'll try to figure out a maybe a, a 72-hour trip where <laughs> we see if we can get everybody to go just on a uh, backpack. Yeah. And uh, includes equipment to see if we, how, if we can do it. Yeah. And I think if there's um, folks that are listening to the podcast and they're going away for the weekend, they should definitely challenge themselves and uh, pack, pack light. Yeah. As possible. Pack light. All right, well, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
Hey, this is Karen Bajwa. Thanks for checking out the show today. If you like what you heard, head on over to our website, rumjog.com. If you happen to be in the New York or New Jersey area, come check out our meetup called Digital Disruption. We cover topics like you heard today with a live audience. Lastly, don't forget to follow us on social media using the handle at rumjog. Talk to you soon.